Amen. There's a little town in North Missouri called Kirksville. Not long ago, a man there was arrested for trying to steal a television from a local Walmart. And here's what he did according to a newspaper account. He spent some time in the store and found a little water bottle that had a price tag of $3.16. And so he peeled the barcode off of that water bottle, went to the electronics department, and placed the barcode on a television set that he wanted to buy. And then he took the television set to the checkout counter, and he tried to buy that TV for $3.16. Well, when the clerk questioned the $3.16 price tag on the TV, this shopper became irate and insisted that the UPC code was correct. In fact, he got rather vocal and demanded that she check him out. A floor manager overheard what was going on, and she called the police. Soon the police came, and this man was arrested and charged with attempted Theft through deception. (laughs) Now, if you're like me, you're saying to yourself, why in the world would this man think that that checkout clerk would be dumb enough to sell him a TV for $3.16? To pull off a stunt like that, you would have to think that everyone is as foolish as you. And yet... Somehow the devil manages to pull that scheme off with remarkable success to many of us. He plays the same trick on all of us. He changes the value of things. He switches the price tags. He makes us think that the really important and valuable things in life are cheap. And that the cheap things in life are really valuable. Somehow he gets people to invest their entire lives in something that has no enduring value at all. And at the same time, we neglect those things that have eternal value. Well, the Bible continually talks about this. And James talks about it at least two times in his letter. And in chapter 4, he hits it from a different slant. And that brings us to our scripture reading this morning. James chapter 4, I'd like to read to you verses 13 through 17. Today I'm reading out of the NIV. Here's what James wrote. Now listen. And the reason I chose NIV is the way he translates those first two words. Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is... You boast in your own arrogance. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, when James begins this paragraph, he uses the words, now listen. And he's being very emphatic. 
In fact, it's as if he is reaching out from this letter and grabbing his listeners by the lapel and shaking them a little bit and saying, now listen, what I'm about to tell you is very important, so I want to have your undivided attention. You need to listen. You need to hear and heed what I'm about to tell you. Listen. But even more than that, the Holy Spirit is the one who gave this. And it's as if the Lord himself is saying the same thing to us this morning. Kavanaugh Church, now listen. And what he's going to do is talk to us about money, business, and the economy. Now, I'm not an expert on the economy, but, but I've been watching the economy all of my adult life. And, and here's what I know about the economy. It's like a roller coaster. I mean, it's up and it's down. It may be doing somewhat better right now, but you know what? The big picture is still pretty bad. Our national debt at this very moment is $21 trillion. Again, I did not major in economics, but I know enough to say, that's bad. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree with me? I mean, it's pretty bad. How in the world can you pay back $21 trillion? My lands. I read this past week of a stockbroker who sent this report to his clients. Helium was up, feathers were down, paper was stationary. Knives were up sharply. Pencils lost a few points. Hiking equipment was trailing. Elevators rose while escalators continued a slow decline. Light switches were off. Mining equipment hit rock bottom. Shipping lines stayed at an even keel. Balloon prices were inflated. Batteries exploded in an attempt to recharge the market. And diapers remained unchanged. <laughs> well, I got some news for you. It really doesn't matter how the economy does or how the stock market performs. None of us, and let me repeat, none of us in this room is going to be able to take with us the things that we accumulate when we die. The richest man in the world right now is reported to be Jeff Bezos. Jeff started Amazon in 1994 in his garage in Seattle. He is worth right now an estimated 134 $0.6 billion. That was a pretty good garage startup, I would say. Huh? Now, Jeff is 54 years old, and sometime in the not-so-distant future, he is going to leave every single penny he has made and go into eternity and stand before God. I have no idea about his spiritual condition or his eternal destination, but one thing is certain. Jeff Bezos is not going to take a single red cent of that $134 billion with him when he dies. And neither are you. James is concerned about all this. In fact, he's already talked about it in chapter 1. Could, could I read that passage to you? James chapter 1 beginning in verse 9. 
He says believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And then in chapter 4 of this same letter, James is going to make the exact same point. In fact, he says basically the same thing in chapter 4 that he has just said in chapter 1. And after studying it, I believe I can summarize what he's saying in chapter 4 with three statements. And the first statement is this. Tomorrow is a mystery. Isn't it? Tomorrow is a mystery. Verse 13 of chapter 4. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. I'm going to do a quick time out just for a moment. What is wrong with what James has just said? In fact, James lists four things that he says somebody is going to do. They're going to go into a city. They're going to spend some time there. They're going to do business, and they're going to make money. And let's just process this. Because something's going on in this passage, and I want to discover what it is. Is there anything wrong with what James has just described? Is there anything wrong with going to a different city? No. I mean, I just went down to Dallas, Waco, back to Dallas, and then home. I don't think anything was wrong with that. Some of you this past week or past month, your business took you to Little Rock or Tulsa or Fayetteville or Oklahoma City or Kansas City. Maybe you work for a company that sends you to a different city once a month or several times a month. Is there anything wrong with that? No, nothing at all. There's nothing wrong with going to another city. Is there anything wrong with spending a year there? I don't guess so. I mean, we have people that, uh, that have come to Cavanaugh Church from a different city. Their company relocated them here, but it was not their permanent home. They knew they were only going to be here for a short time. And so they, they came to Fort Smith, they rented a house, they attended our church, and then when their work ended, they went back home. The opposite is true as well. We've had people who have been sent elsewhere and have spent a year in another city and then they came back to Fort Smith because it is their home. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Is there anything wrong with carrying on business? Well, I don't think so. Many of you own your own business. Others of us work for someone who owns a business. All of us, in one way or another, carry on business every single day of the week. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Is there anything wrong with making money? Well, before you answer it, let me just tell you, no. <laughs> no. We all want to make money. Come on, be honest. <laughs> because we all need to make money. And there's nothing wrong with that. Deuteronomy 8.18 says that God gives us the power and the ability to gain wealth. The Apostle Paul says that if you don't work hard and provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. 
The book of Proverbs tells us that we need to store up things for the future. So there is nothing wrong with making money. In fact, there's nothing wrong with anything James has said so far. There's nothing wrong with going to a city, spending time there, doing business, and making money. But (laughs) there is something wrong about it if that is the main focus of your life. And if that is all that consumes you. And if that is your priority. And if you just live to make money giving no thought to eternity. Look at the passage again. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into this city, that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. If making money in the here and now is all that's important to you, you've got a problem. Because you're not going to be here forever. Tomorrow is a mystery. In fact, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all think you can predict what the headlines of tomorrow's newspaper is really going to be? I mean, it'd be foolish if we tried because we don't know what's going to happen between now and in the morning. There may be some terrorist attack on our nation. There might be some stunning political assassination. There may be some disastrous earthquake. No one can possibly know what's going to happen tomorrow. In fact, you don't even know if your name is going to be in the obituary. That's why I have to read it every day, just to make sure my mind is not there. Tomorrow's a mystery. Now, I'm, I'm going to confess something to you. When I was a little boy, um, I had a, a boyhood crush on an older lady, all right? Uh, she was a movie star, and I thought this movie star was the most beautiful person I had ever seen in my life. Uh, here, here's how I describe her. She was, she was blonde-headed, she was beautiful, and she could sing like an angel. And every time, every, hang on a second, every time... Every time she came on TV, whether it be in a movie or whatever, I was front and center, sitting on the floor right in front of the TV. Her name, Doris Day. I'm going to tell you, I love Doris Day. Anybody out there even know who Doris Day? Okay. I mean, she was. Those of you older people agree with me. She was blonde-headed, beautiful, and could sing like an angel. Okay. Come, come on. Even if you don't know, go Google Doris Day. You'll... Not right now, but later. She was. She's absolutely. And I would sit there in the floor watching her in these movies. And, and I, I honestly, I can't describe it. It was just this warm, fuzzy feeling. I'd get on the inside. I, I guess I was in love with her. You know, I really was. Had, had a childhood crush on Doris Day. She was just absolutely stunning to me. And then I realized later on after I got married that, I mean, I married someone who is blonde, beautiful, and can sing like an angel. I mean, anyway, one of my favorite movies Doris Day was in is an Alfred Hitchcock movie. James Stewart was in it with her. The Man Who Knew Too Much. That was the name of it. The Man Who Knew Too Much. And she sang in this movie, just like she sang in every movie, but the key song was a pivotal song in the plot of the movie. And and here's what the song was about. A little girl is asking her mother questions about the future and what life is going to be like 
after she grows up. And Doris Day sings what the little girl asks. She says, will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Will I be happy? Will I be sad? And here's how the mother responds to that. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. Interestingly, no one knows exactly where that phrase, que sera, sera, comes from. It roughly resembles some phrases in various European languages, but for the most part, it seems to be made up by the songwriter. <laughs> and really, it, it doesn't even represent a Christian worldview or perspective at all because we don't believe whatever will be will be we believe whatever God wills will be but there is some truth in that phrase that says the future's not ours to see because it's not on a day-by-day basis the future is a mystery tomorrow is a mystery. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And if you think that you're only here to make money, to get ahead, without giving any thought to eternity, you're drastically wrong. Because you've believed the scheme of the devil. He's, he's replaced the price tag for you. And you've bought into it hook, line, and seeker. Because that brings us to point number two. Not only is tomorrow a mystery, but number two, life is a mist. Look at verse 14. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. I love the King James translation. It says that our lives are like a vapor that appears... And then vanishes away. This is one of the many biblical analogies that speaks of the brevity of our lives. In fact, let me take you back to James chapter 1 one more time for another analogy. He uses a different analogy to present to us the brevity of how short your life is. James 1 verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Since, and get this, since they will pass away like a what? A wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. So put this together with me. James, in this short letter, says that our lives are, first of all, like these beautiful flowers that blossom and bear fruit, but then after a short time, they wither and they die. Then he says our lives are like a mist or a vapor that appears in the cool of the morning, but then as the sun rises, they vanish away. That's not the only time... The Bible uses analogies about the brevity of our life. In fact, they're found throughout the Bible. Let me just throw a few of them out for you. Psalm 130, verse 15, tells us that our life is like grass that wilts. 2 Samuel 14, 14, our life is like water that's spilled out on the earth. 
In the book of Job, there are several analogies. Our life, Job says, is like a cloud that is swept away by the wind. It's like a shadow that appears and then disappears. It's like a runner who sprints across the landscape. It's like a boat that disappears around the bend of a river. It's like an eagle that swoops down and catches its prey. And then in Psalm 39 verse 5, it tells us that our life is like a breath that we exhale. You know, I'm going to tell you, for someone who is without Christ, for someone who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Savior, for the person who's never been saved, whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, this is the ultimate tragedy of life. And it truly leaves us in nothing but despair. Are you with me? I mean, what a downer to realize that my life really is brief. I mean, dude, listen, even if you live to be 95 years old, what is that? It's like that. It's quick. And it's over. And, 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 and honestly, for all of us in this room, not too many people are going to remember us. I mean, your grandkids, might, they might ask about you. But the great-grandkids in the fourth generation, they're not even going to ask about you. I mean, you're here, you're gone. No one remembers. Dude, you talk about depression, there it is. Wow. Gloom, despair, agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Uh, we also watched T-Hall when I was here. <laughs> Isn't that a bummer, though? I mean, we used to have Leighton Howerton who would come and sing for us, and he, he had that one song where he, he'd snap his fingers or pop his guitar and talk about how life can change just like that. Well, you know, that, that's how long our life is, isn't it? Uh, I, I was talking first service about graduation Sunday that we had just a couple of weeks ago. Man, I, I, that energized me to see all those kids come across and say, how many, there was like 26, I think, total high school and, and college. And after that was over with, I told Angie on the way home, you know, one of the best things about getting to stay at a church for as long as I've been here is that I've, I've been able to see all of these kids grow up. I mean, every kid that went across the stage who has grown up at Kavanaugh, I've watched them from, from little bitty babies now to high school and college graduates. That, that's something awesome, man. But here's what I know about it. It's happened just like that. Because my boy was one of them. Little tiny baby Zane that I would hold in the rocking chair. Seems like yesterday. And rock him to sleep while he sucked his thumb. He's now a man. And you know how fast it's happened? Just that fast. So it can be depressing for someone who doesn't know Jesus. Can you see that? But as a believer, we don't look at it like that. There's nothing depressing about that. The brevity of life, bring it on, man. I'm ready for this life to end. I'm ready to get promoted. I'm ready to go home. And I'm not talking about 905 Cary Lane. I'm talking about my mansion in heaven. The Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. We just look at it differently. But you need to understand in this passage, James is warning us 
That is, we go to this city or that city and spend a day or a week or a month or a year there, conduct business and make money. We need to remember three things. Number one, tomorrow is a mystery. Number two, life is a mist. And then number three, God's will is a must. Look at the passage again, verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this city, that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now look at verse 15. Instead, instead of that, you ought to be saying, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In fact, church, I want you to know the whole point of this passage is that we do God's will God's way. That's what James is saying. You do God's will God's way. God's will God's way. God's will God's way. In fact, let's say that together. One, two, three. God's will God's way. I say God's will. You say God's way. God's will God's will, God's will, because that's the only way it can be. Look, look at me. The most important thing you do, number one, is give your life to Jesus. That is God's will for your life, that you give your life to Jesus. And then beyond that, the most important thing is for you to find, follow, and finish God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for your life. God has something for you to do. He created you to do something in His kingdom. And you will only find true meaning in life when you do what God made you to do. God's will, God's way. I I recently, in fact, this last week, I heard a story about this, this older man. I'm getting to like older men's stories. I don't know why I told first service this story. Something just recently happened at my house. Uh, I had a guy come do some work at the house, and and he kept looking at me. And I mean, it it really kind of got uncomfortable, the way he was staring at me. I mean, it was was getting weird. And, um, And finally he says, I know you. He said, don't you have a son that plays football at Greenwood? That's how I'm known now. I get, you know. I said, yeah, sure do. And he says, yeah, I, I knew that. I saw you at every Greenwood football game, and I saw you down on the field talking to your son. And I, I told my wife more than once, pointing to you, saying to my wife, you know, for an old guy, he's pretty fit. I felt like a million dollars after that. I, anyway, I heard about this older man lives in California, and every single day he goes to Knott's Berry Farm, the amusement park. And he doesn't go there for, for the food or for the people or anything else. He goes there to ride one roller coaster, the accelerator. The accelerator. The accelerator takes you out from the platform at an amazing 82 miles an hour from the get-go. Boom. Vertically, you go up 90 degrees, and then it drops you 200 feet in about a second. And then the accelerator whips you around like a flea on a rocket ship. I mean, (laughs) this old man, listen to me, this old man 
had ridden the accelerator 27,000 times. After 20,000 times, Knott's Berry Farm gave him a party. <laughs> they celebrated. They gave him a certificate, a season pass, and this black leather jacket with the accelerator logo on it. And he said in the interview, my goal in life is to ride the accelerator 30,000 times. Now, church, did you hear that? His purpose, his goal, the one thing that he lived for was to get up every day and go to Knott's Berry Farm and ride the accelerator because his goal in life before he died was to ride the accelerator 30,000 times. That's what he lived for. And, and I don't want to be critical, but may I suggest that there is just something better that you can do with your life than ride a roller coaster. But then that just took me back to us, because every time I write these sermons, I'm thinking of you. I do. I get my directory out. And this is not a bad thing. No, you're taking this wrong. It's really not. I've done this since I started preaching. I, I would take the directory of, of, of my church and, and I would thumb through it. And, and, and as I'm writing sermons, I'm praying for you as a congregation because I know you live in a real world and you go through rough things. Life is tough. And, and I want this to be a connection point every Sunday when you come here. I'm, I'm just not doing this for the fun of it. I'm trying to give you a word from God. And I want this word to connect with your life. And, and so as, as I was writing this sermon, I was, I was thinking of you because here we are. Sometimes we just go around in circles, don't we? We have our ups and our downs. We blast off. We spin around. We accumulate records and maybe we accomplish some things. But church, I want you to hear what James is saying. James is saying in verse 15, for all of you who knows what to do. For if you know the good you ought to do. And specifically he's saying. If you know to do God's will. You know what God's will is. You need to follow God's call in Jesus Christ. You need to accomplish something for the Lord. If you know what God's will is. If you know God is prompting you and telling you. This is what I want you to do. And you refuse to do it. James says. You're sinning. And do when I read that this past week, my head started spinning around. Because how many times has God specifically shown you something He wants you to do? His will for your life. And for whatever reason, you just refuse to do it. Maybe you think you're inadequate. Maybe it's not the plan that you had developed for your own life. Maybe it rubs you the wrong way. Maybe you're just afraid and you say, or you don't have time. And you just say, no, I'm not going to do it. James is saying, if that is you, you're out of fellowship with God. You're sinning. So can, can I listen from, to this preacher. The most important things in your life, number one, is that you get saved, you give your life to Jesus. That's God's will for you. Number two is that you find, follow, and finish God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for your life. You know, I know how many of you are thinking, you're thinking, okay, this is a great sermon for, you know, high school kids or those kids back here, Brother Johnny. Our kids need to find God's will. They need to do God's will. Yeah. Amen. 
But just because you're 19 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 60, it doesn't mean God doesn't have a will for your life because he does. God has something he wants you to be doing. And if you know what that is and you're not doing it, you're sinning. Really, let me just stop right here and say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. And please, see the love that I have in my heart. I'm not chastising you or getting on to you, but but if you say you're a Christian and you're using that as an excuse, I'm going to have to get right in your grill and shake you a little bit and say, well, you know what? Here's what you need. You need to spend some time with God. Because God doesn't hide his will from you. If God's got something for you to do, he's going to let you know what it is. Now, I did tell someone this past week, discovering that may be a difficult thing because we have all of our own stuff we put into it. And it may take us a little while of of praying and thinking and seeking God for us to really figure out what it is God wants us to do. But God is not hiding his will from your life. And if you don't know what it is, man, I challenge you, spend some time in the Word. Spend some time praying. Fast. That is, go without food and seek God's will. Find a private place where it's just you and God and discover what... You say, is it really that important? (laughs) It is that important. Our slogan in life ought to be the title of my sermon, The Will of God. Nothing more, nothing less. Because, well, because tomorrow is a mystery. Life is a mist, but the will of God is a must. And I think the whole passage in James chapter 4 could be summarized in that little couplet that we say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. His will is his way. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. We're, we're going to have an invitation where we invite people to come to the altar and pray to the Lord. And, and I encourage you to do that. If the Lord is speaking to your heart and you know he's talking to you, would you come and pray? Maybe you need to answer that call that he's giving for you to be saved. I've already thanked God in advance for people who will be saved today. And I believe someone in this service needs to be saved. So would you follow God's will by accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? We'll show you how right here at the altar. We can show you how to do that. Number two, if if you're a believer, would you come to the altar this morning and say, Lord, your will, your way, and I'm going to give all to you. I'm giving you everything, Jesus. Whatever you want from my life, I'm making it available. I want to do your will, your way. God's will, nothing more, nothing less. Would you come and pray that prayer?